John Harris co-founded the news organization Politico in 2007 and served as its editor-in-chief until 2019. He was previously a political reporter for the Washington Post and the author of an acclaimed book about President Bill Clinton. Today, he will give his insight into the upcoming presidential election. Let's listen in. And so without further ado, John, whatever you have to say will be gratefully received, and then we'll go on to our Q&A session. Oh, well, thank you so much, Bill, for those generous words. And I hadn't even uh, thought about that definition for my column, but I think it's a pretty good one. I'm going to borrow it uh, uh, going forward. Uh, I call it altitude, and it is trying to uh, rise above uh, some of the, um, uh, the, the kind of fire, daily firefight in Washington and, and uh, most uh, events, even those that seem uh, really unprecedented, like uh, uh, President Trump's uh, ascension into office, I think have historical antecedents. Uh, that's what I've learned from your work and others, and uh, that's what I try to illuminate. So what I thought I would try to do is get a little bit of altitude on this call about how I see what's happening right now in the middle of one convention, on the brink of another, and then uh, 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 after a couple of years that the selections underway. We've got just about 10 weeks to go. Um, and uh, uh, then at least the possibility of a, another new chapter in Washington, if Democrats are able to keep their current lead and come to power. Uh, you know, Bill, the way I was looking at this, uh, this moment, in, the, in particular the Democratic Convention, I think two things are true. Uh, one thing that's true is that uh, Hillary Clinton lost the 2016 uh, electoral college uh, because uh, she failed to uh, make the case that uh, the choice between uh, uh, her and uh, Donald Trump was urgent enough and that uh, uh, Donald Trump represented a, a grave threat. She failed to make that case in particular with African-Americans uh, and in particular in those three swing states that we all read so much about uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. There was depressed, uh, somewhat depressed African-American turnout there. If it had been at uh, historical levels, she would be president. So the failure uh, to, uh, to, to underline the choice and to present Donald Trump as a moral threat to the most important uh, Democratic constituency is, is one truth. Another truth that I think is important is that uh, Democrats have had great success in off-year elections and in the midterm elections, uh, not by talking about how much uh, they loathe Donald Trump. Um, uh, they tend to take that as a given that voters understand that, but instead by um, uh, uh, sort of uh, bringing down the anti-Trump rhetoric and bringing up uh, the, the fact that they've got an affirmative agenda that uh, connects with people in uh, real life ways, um, particularly on the issue of health care. That was key to 2018 and the key to several of the off-year elections. Uh, that Democrats have won. Clearly so far, uh, the first of those is being addressed in vigorous form. And I thought Michelle Obama's speech was uh, brilliant in doing so, that no, nobody could listen to that speech and not accept, uh, 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 understand her view that there is a mortal threat in the reelection of Donald Trump, in particular to African-Americans. I think Democrats currently are weaker on that second thing. Uh, I, uh, uh, the, what's motivating the Democratic coalition right now is, uh, uh, is disdain uh, for Donald Trump. Not that much uh, affirmative enthusiasm for Joe Biden uh, and uh, his agenda. He'll do just fine, I think, is the, uh, the, the consensus view of Democrats. Uh, but uh, it's, uh, uh, it could be more robust. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what comes out of uh, 
the balance of the convention and in particular Joe Biden himself addressing it, whether he can uh, put the long arc of his uh, personal story um, uh, in, a, in a contemporary perspective and really have people feeling enthusiastic about uh, his cho the choice of him rather than just motivated by the disdain of, of uh, President Trump. The, the purpose of no labels, as I understand it, and the good work that people on this call have done, uh, it seems to me is to revive a, 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 a functional center in American politics and in American life. Uh, it's not to repudiate ideology or partisanship, uh, as I understand it, but it's to make sure make clear that those things are secondary, that they are means to an end, and the end is uh, solving problems in a practical way that make uh, the whole of America better. Uh, What's the future of that center and can it be revived? I think that's been the big question. Precedes uh, President uh, Trump. Plainly, uh, uh, President Obama had trouble uh, uh, sustaining a vigorous functional center uh, for much of his term uh, and was disappointed in, in, uh, in, in several respects because of that and the defiance that uh, uh, he was greeted with by Republicans. It seems to me that that center will never get revived until there is a, a vigorous and emphatic victory. We've been in kind of a jump ball uh, in American politics, basically for a generation since 2000. Uh, control of Congress has traded back and forth. Uh, Democrats have won the presidency, but often the Republicans have been able to mobilize perceived overreach and take it, uh, uh, take it back. And uh, there hasn't been a decisive uh, uh, victory by one side or the other. Um, in my ideal, perhaps you wouldn't need that, uh, that politicians would act more in public like most of them do in my experience in private. Uh, if you were to, uh, we wouldn't need a no labels if everybody could act um, uh, in public as they more or less speak. Uh, I'm talking about elected officials and uh, uh, the political class in Washington, as they say, in private. I, I think the actual programmatic challenges before us it wouldn't be that hard to, to reach a, a working consensus and it wouldn't require anybody to abandon basic principles. They just have to compromise it. Uh, the, the failure comes when uh, we step out of private and into public and uh, our, our public discourse is so tribal. I don't really see that ending until there is an emphatic victory by one side or the other. Is it possible that 2020 represents uh, that emphatic victory? I think it is possible. We are seeing, uh, um, Democrat, Republicans looking at more losses in the House. Um, uh, uh, the Senate at Politico, our forecasters call it kind of a jump ball. Increasingly, you're seeing people go out a little further over their skis than we've been willing to do uh, and actually forecasting a Democratic victory. And obviously, as everybody on this call knows, uh, Joe Biden is in command uh, in the polls. Now, um, are those, uh, they are going to tighten. There's, there's just no way. Uh, we are not going to see a, a reversal of a generation in, in which uh, elections have been very close. Uh, and we're, we're not going to see Joe Biden win by 10 points. I don't think so. So people are going to have to, uh, um, uh, if they want a Biden victory, they're going to have to buckle their seatbelts, I think. I think there's going to be, uh, first off, uh, he's not going to be in his basement the entire campaign. So that means there are going to be rhetorical bumps and there's going to be natural tightening uh, of the race, reflecting the genuinely divided electorate. Uh, I do think fundamentally Joe Biden is in control of this race because there is no longer a rationale for Donald Trump's candidacy. 
um, uh, I'll expand on that just a little bit, and then as we uh, uh, and then turn it open to some questions. Uh, I say no longer, but because uh, before the pandemic and the national shutdown, uh, Democrats didn't like to hear it, but there actually was a, stra a strategic case for uh, President Trump's uh, re-election. Even uh, uh, there was a strategic theory of how they proposed uh, to do it, uh, even as he's never been above 50% in his approval ratings, even for a day of his presidency. Uh, but if you go back in November or December, where I had a number of conversations with the Trump high command, well, how do you expect to win? And they'd say, look, we're going to do, uh, we're going to do three things. One, uh, we're going to use our financial advantage and organizational advantage. Watch us outperform our public polls in swing states. Uh, that's what we did in 16. We're going to do it again. Uh, if the polls have us within three or four, our uh, turnout and mobilization advantage, and also the fact that a lot of people will don't won't tell pollsters that they support Trump, even if they do. That's good for uh, a, a margin. Uh, two, we're going to cut into uh, uh, Democrats' historic strength with African Americans, particularly African American males. And there wasn't much prospect of doing it with African American females who really dislike uh, Donald Trump. But there was at least some possibility of uh, of upping by several percentage points uh, the historic Republican turnout among African-American males, it don't, doesn't need to take that much to have very outsized consequences because it's so uh, critical to the Democratic coalition. And third and most important, they were going to rewrite the Trump narrative. Like, yes, he's uh, disruptive. Yes, uh, he says things that sometimes you wish he wouldn't. Yes, he's a divisive figure, but uh, uh, that's what it takes to change Washington. And he has succeeded in doing that. He's a disruptor. And uh, uh, they even during the World Series had ads. It takes a Trump. Sometimes it takes a Trump to change Washington. So that was the strategic case. Run on a good economy and uh, uh, defy conventional politics by the virtue of their operation. Um, and you couldn't say that it, uh, there was no chance of that. Every element, uh, Bill, of that, uh, of those strategic pillars that laid out has been uh, demolished uh, during the pandemic. No prospect that... Uh, 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 they will cut into African-American vote, I don't think, in the wake of, uh, of George Floyd and uh, uh, President Trump's uh, racial scab picking. Um, they need to outperform by a lot more, the public polls in swing states by a lot, lot more than three percentage points in order for those states uh, to be in contention uh, currently. And it's really demolished uh, Trump's narrative. Uh, it, it's, it's hard to imagine what that story would be that would say, look, I've really done a good job and earned your trust in handling of this uh, unprecedented event. Um, that's really what I'm going to be uh, uh, looking for next week in the Republican convention. Is there any kind of strategic rationale that it's late in the day? Uh, um, and it's really late in the day if you uh, uh, take into account early voting. The first people are going to start voting within a matter of weeks. Uh, and 60% of Americans, at least maybe more, will vote. Uh, not before Election Day, according to the estimates I've seen. Uh, can you make a, a, a case, uh, even a historic case, like President Trump's uh, mission that he's been handed by history is what? Uh, most presidents do have kind of a, an assignment from history that they get. And I think you earlier could say that President Trump had it. Look, uh, enormous disrespect for institutions, enormous impatience with the, uh, the status quo, 
uh, enormous frustration at the way elites protect their own interests at the expense of average people's interests. That was his assignment. Uh, you might not have liked it, but it, it was plausible in 2016. I see no equivalent of that. Uh, and uh, I must say, I do, uh, 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 Bill will remember, probably several other people on this call know Doug uh, Sosnick, who's the White House political director and uh, 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 a friend, and he writes uh, these uh, political briefings. He says uh, President Trump is like Austin Powers. Uh, they both sort of woke up and don't realize that they're in a whole new era. And I, I see President Trump is in that uh, uh, situation. I don't think he realizes that the kind of old signatures of his politics uh, are so misplaced to the, the current politics of the pandemic. Uh, so for that reason, I do. I, I'm uh, kind of out of the prediction business since uh, my predictions weren't great in 2016, like many of my colleagues, but I do have expectations that there's a high probability of a Biden administration. And so then the question there is, uh, 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 what's that like? Uh, there's a paradox in that uh, the very indistinctness of Biden's campaign. I don't think he has an indistinct personality. He's a uh, ordinarily, if in, in his Senate career, he's a kind of vibrant, colorful person. Uh, but for purposes of this campaign, uh, he's had to uh, harness that. And really, because of the pandemic, it's been a basement uh, campaign and with very minimal uh, sort of public exposure and very controlled when they do have that exposure. The very indistinctness of Biden's campaign uh, is a terrific advantage. It does allow Democrats to unite. He's the composite Democrat. Uh, um, uh, it's the closest I've seen to a candidate running as the pollsters uh, sometimes referred as the generic party candidate. Uh, well, he is the generic Democrat. That's, a, I think, a big advantage in the uh, general election. It's going to be a significant challenge um, in the, uh, uh, in, if there is a democratic governance. Uh, there are so many uh, kind of clamoring ideological demands, in particular by an ascendant left. And uh, um, uh, Biden's going to need to do something that he hasn't really, uh, I think, effectively done in this campaign, which is really establish himself as the dominant uh, figure in the Democratic Party. So that if it's, if it's the President Biden and, and uh, progressive Democrats say, well, who says that we can't have a Green New Deal or that we're not going to push for Medicare for all? Will Biden be able to say, I say that uh, because that's not what I campaigned on? And uh, um, or, or is he along with Nancy Pelosi at, I guess, age 80, and uh, older uh, Chuck Schumer and, and the oldest president in history, will they be able to uh, control uh, this uh, very significant generational change that's going on in politics? That's a real mystery to me uh, that we'll only see if, if Biden is able to hang on to his, his current lead. Um, but it'll be especially consequential, if, especially if do de Democrats do eke out a, a Senate victory. Uh, uh, we're going we're gonna to have to see Biden... Uh, in a more robust fashion as president than we've seen him as uh, uh, as uh, as candidate. So anyway, that is a gets the conversation going, Bill. I uh, that's how I uh, I see it, uh, um, and I, I think it's going to be an awfully interesting uh, uh, period in American politics coming up. Uh, yeah, uh, I agree, and. I have about 20 footnotes that I'd love to drop to your, your, your opening presentation, uh, but I'm going to be a moderate moderator and not even take the prerogative of asking the first question, but instead yield the floor to a gentleman that you may have heard of, John, namely Mac McClarty, 
Okay, uh, there he is. Uh, to get the Q&A oh, started. I, I like it. Uh, Dr. Dawson, thank you very much. Uh, uh, John, it's great to see you, even virtually yeah. here. Doing well, you look well. Thank you. John, three quick points. One, I thought you analyzed the uh, political landscape in your usual insightful and clear manner. I, I agree with it uh, for what that's worth. So two issues relating to the campaign. One, the, the counting of the votes, John. We, we've got an election, but we've got to count the votes and to see who won. And, and that to me is a big outstanding question. The second part, you, you outlined kind of why you thought the president was frankly just so far behind. And I think you're correct right now. You do have the debates coming up and that could be pretty pivotal. Thirdly, I think very quickly, relevant to no labels, John, poll after poll shows 70, 80% sometimes of the American people wanting Congress to work together, including the executive branch and, you know, solve problems and get things done. And yet, you know, you spoke about a lack of that ability to govern and the tribalism and so forth. So comment on those three issues quickly, if you will. Well, I certainly agree with you that the outstanding question uh, is whether we can have a, 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 a functional election in which public, the people can have trust uh, uh, in the middle of this pandemic. Uh, I happen to believe that President Trump is uh, uh, misreading the advantages of chaos and uh, uh, by apparently still uh, tilling the ground that if, well, if I lose, it's because the election wasn't fair. To me, it seems to be mobilizing um, people's determination to vote and uh, really crystallizing um, the concerns people have about uh, uh, just the basic functionality of government. Um, uh, we are in this tribal moment, but I think at the end of the day, something more important than, than uh, tribalism, which is just people's basic sense of uh, security and a desire for functionality and competence. And uh, um, I, I think President Trump's uh, stumbling performance on the pandemic is, uh, um, is calling that into question. And I know that he's got... Uh, high enthusiasm still among his most intense partisan. Uh, but I think the, uh, there's an awful lot of uh, conservatives uh, who had, in different ways had held their nose uh, uh, and voted Trump in the past uh, who, are, who are rapidly falling out of reach. And I think the, the election issue uh, is, uh, uh, is exacerbating that. Um, you know, Mac, the, the general question of whether we can have a... Uh, of functional politics. Um, uh, we obviously have to long term have to change the uh, incentives. Uh, right now, the, um, there are enormous incentives in our media culture and our political culture for extreme rhetoric uh, and extreme behavior. And uh, uh, there are fewer incentives uh, to, um, um, uh, to, to solve problems on behalf of the public. And uh, um, uh, it seems to me until those incentives change, uh, uh, we're going to have a brand of politics that uh, uh, you don't like very much. I don't like very much. Um, uh, I will say, and um, you, you were on my mind earlier, Matt, because I was writing about uh, Bill Clinton this morning. And uh, irrespective of what one thinks about Bill Clinton as a person, uh, 
or whether they liked the politics of the 1990s. Bill Clinton was extremely good, uh, as, as you and I and Bill, for that matter, all know well. He was extremely good at some things that I think we don't have near enough of in our politics today, which is the politics of persuasion uh, rather than the politics of mobilization. Uh, I went back and, and uh, read some of those speeches. That, uh, uh, some of you probably were present for Bill Clinton to the, speaking to the DLC in 1991 in Cleveland or Georgetown University, his new covenant speech. And to watch those now relative to uh, certainly to President Trump, but even lots of other politicians, uh, is to highlight the poverty of our political discourse. Uh, uh, th those uh, speeches were conversational. They were an argument as though he was speaking to somebody with an open mind that could be uh, um, that uh, could be persuaded, uh, and, and they were completely different than the, the, the language of assertion, insult, um, exhortation, mobilization that marks our, our speeches today. So we could use uh, uh, more Bill Clinton like politicians, even if we don't want Bill Clinton ourselves, uh, some of us, um, uh, we could use more of that in our politics. And by the way, the, the, the party that needs it most, Bill and I were trading messages on this earlier today. The, the party that's really waiting for a latter day, Bill Clinton is the Republican party in my view, especially in a post-Trump environment where they are going to uh, uh, need to uh, uh, offer reassurance to voters that uh, um, that they're not as extreme as their reputation, that they're interested in solving problems, that they're taking old values and translating them into a new age. That was what Bill Clinton did a long time ago now, right? We're uh, 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 almost 30 years ago. Um, the basic assignment, I, I think, is, uh, is still a, a good one, uh, which is a politics of solving problems rather than just a, a politics of identity. Uh, a politics of grievance, uh, a, a politics of, uh, of mobilization. Um, uh, so I, I still think there's a lot to learn from Bill Clinton. He's going to, when he, uh, I'll be watching with interest tonight when he speaks. Me too. Uh, we have an increasingly long queue, uh, not, not to my surprise, given, given your presentation, John. Uh, so second up is one of our most active members, Maxine Clark. Thank you. Uh, thanks, John. It was a great presentation. I'm curious. I have a couple of questions, but I'm just going to ask this one. Do you think that uh, Joe Biden can be our first no labels uh, problem solver as president? Um, I think that he uh, certainly has an instinct for that. Um, I think uh, as I read Joe Biden's career, he is somebody who is fundamentally an institutionalist. Um, he has respect uh, for the institutions of government, and I think he has respect for most uh, uh, institutions of, uh, uh, of society and, and wants them to work. Uh, uh, so, yes, I think he, he, no question, he has those instincts. Uh, and um, uh, he, he does practice or wants to practice a politics of respect as opposed to a, a politics of contempt um, uh, for these institutions and the established order. Uh, he wants to reform the established order. He doesn't want to banish it. Whereas I, I think President Trump would say he wants to humiliate uh, uh, the est established order. Uh, um, so uh, he, uh, there's no question those are his, uh, it, it, to my mind, there's no question those are his instincts. There is a big question about uh, um, how much uh, energy and command uh, uh, he can bring to that and, and how much he's going to really set the agenda for his own 
party. Uh, as I say, he's, he's helped by the fact that he's a kind of fill in the blank uh, candidate in my view. Um, but as a effective presidents usually are, are, are um, more dominant in, uh, in, in moving their, in mobilizing their parties and making sure that they are the, 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 the most influential voice in the party. Uh, how much is he going to be pushed around by the different clamoring interest groups uh, in his, uh, in the party? Um, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, Next is another one of our you know, very active leaders, uh, Glenn Lowenstein. Um, thank you, Bill. And thank you, John, for being here. My question is, when you go through your analysis that honestly feels like it holds water, in your mind, where are the weak spots? Or said differently, can you prove the opposite? Can you prove a Trump victory? Yeah, I, I guess uh, if I were like right now, just trying to uh, fast forward to the day after the election uh, and Trump has won re-election, what would uh, what would that be? My guess would be uh, that it would be some combination of uh, um, very halting performance uh, by Biden on the stump. Um, 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 I, I, I do have great respect for Biden and, and I want to convey that. Uh, I must say I was, before the pandemic and before we all went virtual, watching him out on the uh, campaign trail in, uh, uh, in Iowa, um, is where I saw him, uh, uh, spent a lot of time with him, not in New Hampshire. He really did seem halting and uh, 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 not losing his faculties or anything like that, but he seemed like a lot of people in their late seventies that I know, which was is, uh, not as vigorous and not as uh, uh, not as commanding as we remember them. So I, I really think that's a challenge. Um, and then I would say um, um, the other element of that would be that uh, uh, President Trump proves me wrong in that I think uh, I've asserted that Joe Biden is running as the generic Democrat, right? Uh, um, and, uh, um, you know, people who are down in elections say when they you tell them, well, the polls say any Democrat can beat you. He says, well, I'm not going to run against any Democrat. I'm going to run against some Democrat. And as long as I'm running against somebody, I can define that somebody on favorable terms. Uh, uh, and, and so President Trump will use his gifts such as they are to uh, um, to, to turn Biden from the any Democrat into a very particular Democrat and, and somehow uh, 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 make him uh, uh, make him lose control of his public image. And uh, the reason I don't think that's a, as big a risk is that Biden is so well known, one, and two, Trump has used, gone to that well so many times, I think there's a discount factor. Um, um, but I guess those would be the uh, um, those would be the things. And also we would, uh, the other major ingredient, as you guys know, of the, the Trump, to the extent he has a strategy, uh, it's, uh, look, there's a whole lot of people that didn't vote last time just because they're very, uh, uh loose and occasional voters. And, uh, um, there's still more people to mobilize, uh, that, uh, uh that if they vote, they're Trump voters. Um, I'm skeptical that that number is large, and I'm certainly skeptical that it's uh, as uh, 
that it's larger than the number of Democrats who are going to uh, turn out this this time, even if they didn't in 2016. But I think that's what it would look like, right? That's that's the that's the nature of the, you know, media got it wrong or I got it wrong in 2020, just like I did in 16. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, I can I can think of one other you know piece of an argument, but it's out of his control. And that would be a very pertinent October surprise in the form of a demonstrably proven effective vaccine. Yeah, right. Right. Because then, you know, then he could say when everybody else was criticizing me for this and that, I invested billions of federal dollars in Operation Warp Speed. uh, And we've broken the indoor vaccine development record by years, which is true if it happens. So uh, I would agree. The, the, the one qualification I would uh, uh, give to that is that uh, uh, October surprise, it better be early October, uh, given the yeah, number I, of people that are going to be voting I, in late I, I agree, but, and early October. So the whole notion of a, of a kind of a surprise 72 hours out is, uh, is uh, yeah, no. uh, less, uh, less impact. No, this is, this is not another Cap Weinberger ploy. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, moving right along uh, to Jim Hoke. Jim, my question really is: is any comments that you can give us on the on the on the Senate and the House races? You focused almost entirely on the presidential one. It, we're watching it closely. Obviously, um, uh, we're calling it. A, we've got a guy at the uh, Politico who's kind of our prognosticator. Who just it consumes <laughs> all the polls, uh, and uh, um, he, he's calling it a jump ball. Um, uh, you know, I, I think if there's a if there's a true wave, I, I think it's likely Democrats take uh, uh, take the Senate. Um, uh, and you know, if you go back and look at years where uh, these kind of earthquakes have uh, uh, started w- with the president, but then uh, you know really changed a lot of the landscape beneath it. Um, you know, way back when, 1980, I don't think people saw the Senate. Uh, switching control as it did with Reagan's victory. Um, much more recently, I think if we look at 2010, uh, uh, you did see that, that the reach of, uh, uh, of the backlash to then uh, President Obama's uh, first two-year agenda not only switched the House, uh, but also went deep, deep into, um, deep into states. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I, the, the races that we're all watching are the same ones that uh, you're watching. What happens to Susan Collins in Maine? What happens to Colorado? Uh, you know, uh, are there going to be some surprises in some of the southern states, including possibly Kentucky? Uh, you know, Mitch McConnell got a surprise. Uh, I don't have uh, uh, sufficient closeness to those to give you a hot uh, prediction. Um, I'll, I'll make a bigger point, uh, which is... Uh, uh, Democrats could really benefit from uh, an election that goes deep, uh, not just past the uh, past the Congress, but into state legislatures um, and uh, uh, into governorships. Uh, if you look at what happened in 2010, that was a lost Democrat, a lost decade for Democrats. Uh, basically, put put an end to Barack Obama's legislative agenda. He still had an executive agenda, but uh, because. Uh, uh, and it lasted a decade because it put uh, Republicans in control of redistricting in all these states. And uh, uh, I think the opportunity for Democrats is that they get the uh, opposite of that 
and they give Republicans a lost decade uh, if they can uh, uh, control more state houses than they currently do. Uh, next up is uh, Christopher Antone. Chris? My question is for the middle of the road, middle class person, what can you describe as you can as the policy changes that a Biden, a Biden administration will bring? Forget about the personalities, forget about identity politics, but what, what real significant policy changes will um, be important for uh, Vice President Biden to clearly communicate when he does debate? What will make him different than a Donald Trump from a policy perspective? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the big ones are going to be well known to you. And I think he's been pretty admirably forthright in, in laying out an agenda. He wants to expand uh, health care. He does not want uh, um, uh, 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 Medicare for all. We had that debate in the campaign, uh, but does want a much more robust government role, uh, in, including an option, a, a public option that President Obama, President Obama couldn't uh, push through. Uh, I think the changing issue landscape since the uh, uh, since the campaign and the nomination was wrapped up uh, uh, on police reform, it's clearly going to be uh, uh, very important uh, for Democrats early on, um, especially given some of Biden's own um, uh, somewhat tortured history as the uh, as being so influential in the 1994 crime bill. I think he could say, "Well, look, we're, this is a chance to come back and and deal with some of the defects of that uh, of that legislation in terms of." Uh, of sentencing and the police accountability. Um, and uh, I think long-term, the issue that uh, is really going to uh, uh, push and challenge older Democrats in the, uh, in the leadership um, uh, is uh, gonna be uh, climate change. And uh, um, uh, you know, what actions are, are gonna be taken to uh, uh, Things that I think had would previously never been on the table uh, in terms of the energy taxes uh, and uh, um, uh, big incentives for clean energy, big including big by incentives. I mean public subsidies. I think we're going to be looking uh, at, at all of those broadly. I would say what's interesting about the possibility of a democratic administration is it will be the really the first time in quite a while that Democrats would be uh, might perceive themselves as being off the defensive. Um, in, in other words, uh, usually, certainly this was true for all of President Clinton's term and been true for a lot of Barack Obama's term. Uh, there was an awareness that uh, um, there was only so much the political market could bear and the Democrats to be effective had to uh, practice the uh, politics of reassurance. Look, trust me, I won't go too far. I'm not going to raise your taxes too much. I'm not going to back a government that's too, uh, too intrusive. I see a lot of those... Uh, the need for that, um, um, that sort of constant reassurance uh, is, uh, is lessening. Uh, the reason I say that is as the Democratic coalition has, uh, uh, has expanded, it's not really become that much more conservative. Uh, 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 if you look, big infusions of suburban white voters into the Democratic coalition, they've been scared off by, uh, um, uh, by President Trump. Uh, but the, the, the issue polling among those people, they're not that, uh, not that conservative. Uh, they're not 
kind of holding the, the progressive wing of the party back as much as you might think. Uh, they're in favor of, of uh, expanded role and they're uh, tolerant of higher taxes, uh, uh, even as those higher taxes likely would affect them. Uh, and their views have, uh, um, on whether or not the country is, uh, uh, to the extent is still racist, um, have sh shifted sharply. Uh, in this, in the uh, over six months, and so um, uh, I don't. Uh, you know, we had this interesting conversation at uh, Politico the other day. We put together people from different wings of the uh, of the uh, uh, of the Democratic Party on the question of are they unified? And uh, you know, Connor Lamb, who of course had his victory in twenty eighteen in the special election, and showed it was an early indicator of the, that the tide was rising for Democrats. Uh, he made it clear, like, look, I have to convince my voters I'm not a socialist. Uh, but once he does that, he's got lots of latitude uh, for progressive uh, positions, uh, far more progressive than he would have been able to push just a few years ago. Let me just add a couple of points uh, in response to Chris's question, if I may. Uh, first of all, suppose you're middle class, you're age 60, uh, and you've just lost a job with health benefits. Uh, Biden has proposed, and I think this will be a core element of his health care plan, allowing people to buy into Medicare starting at age 60. And if you don't have a big income at age 60, you won't be paying month much in monthly Medicare uh, costs. That's potentially a big deal. Another potential big deal, if you're middle class and in your 40s and you're staring at an 18-year-old high school senior and a 15-year-old high school sophomore uh, and thinking about college costs, uh, the, the Biden program would make uh, tuition at state colleges and universities essentially free for people in the economic uh, range of most middle-class families. So those are a couple of things that would be felt were they to be enacted. Uh, but enough of me. Uh, we go next to Jim Crown. Jim? Hi, Bill. Uh, thanks. Uh, so my question from a perspective of what is persuasive to people is I'm curious whether in your experience, John, having people like, uh, you know, Governor Kasich or, or any of the other Republicans who stood up yesterday, Mitt Romney saying what he has said, actually matter in terms of how people act that then decide to process this, or are these things all pretty much set and, and that's just window dressing? Yeah, it's such a good question um, because there's this whole uh, uh, group, this whole uh, set of political analysis that says, uh, there's really not very many swing voters. Uh, and uh, people may describe themselves as independents, but in fact, they have clear inclinations and clear consistency in their voting patterns. And there's just not that uh, many uh, persuadable voters in the middle. And my problem with that is uh, it's just never corresponded to the kind of conversations that I have a lot with people. And you say, well, you're just talking to a certain type of, uh, of uh, person and uh, that there's actually not that many of them. Uh, I happen to believe uh, uh, that there are still uh, uh, plenty of swing voters. Uh, um, 
and that um, um, it's very effective to have uh, um, uh, people uh, that are former Republicans as validators for uh, not just Joe Biden, but for the broader argument that this is uh, that our, our country needs something different than Trump, and that this is uh, one of those kind of signal moments, one of those historic moments where the the parties, uh, the election is going to fundamentally be a definitional moment for the country. And uh, um, I, I think uh, for those types of voters, and they're um, they're influential. Uh, uh, it really mattered. So I, I thought it was very effective. And I, I thought it was uh, also, you still do have to, even as the pendulum is, uh, is swinging more to the left, you still do have to practice the politics of reassurance. And there's plenty of people who might be nervous, uh, might be nervous by Bernie Sanders or AOC that can say, all right, well, if John Kasich is back and Joe Biden, that makes it easier for me to be there. Uh, uh, I think it's key. And, and a point, uh, you know, uh, Nancy's husband, uh, Mark Penn, made me several times is, you know, just the mathematics of voting. If you switch, if you get a swing voter, that's two votes, uh, one minus from one category, one plus from yours. If you're practicing the politics of mobilization, getting people out who would not otherwise vote, you have to work very hard to do it uh, first off. Uh, and uh, that's only a plus one, not plus two. So um, I'm still a big believer that uh, uh, the politics of, of uh, persuasion and the politics of, uh, of uh, speaking to those swing voters is, uh, is enormously important. Thank you. To, you know, just to maximize the number of questions you have a chance to respond to, John, yeah. you know, I'm going to read some of the questions to you that have shown up in, in the chat room. Sure, unless, and I'll, I'll be economical and more than unless Liz, Unless Liz tells me not to, because I always do what she says. She's giving me the thumbs up. Okay, a question from Murray Levin. Uh, do you foresee the Republican convention trying to mirror the Democrats by trotting out disaffected, high-profile Democrats to say they're now for Trump? Who could the Republicans present? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think they'd uh, um, have to uh, go... Uh, I'm sure there'll be some of that, right? Because uh, it's such an obvious uh, thing. But I, I don't think there's people with great. Uh, um, oh, somebody points out Scott Baio. Um, uh, I see in the chat. Uh, you know the guy from Happy Days. Uh, that's scraping the well pretty down <laughs> low. It seems to me. But, um, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, anticipate the uh, rather than. Uh, getting validators for President Trump, uh, what they're going to try to do is, is do as much devalidation of, of Joe Biden as possible. Um, uh, I, it doesn't seem like uh, President Trump has is that limber as a politician. He's got a couple of things that he has learned to do that have been effective for him in the past. And, and so he just turns up the volume to remember the old movie Spinal Tap where the speakers went up, didn't go to 10, they went to 11. Uh, he just keeps <laughs> to 11, 12, uh, uh, and I, I don't think anything new, even as the circumstances uh, in which he's governing have changed so dramatically. Uh, and, you know, here I hope I'm going to get the uh, trans the uh, pronunciation of the last name correct uh, from, from John Chachis. Uh, what's your view about the size of a shy Trump vote? 
I don't think it's, uh, I think it's out there. Um, and what's more, I think the, uh, uh, it, uh, to me, underscores the challenge that Democrats have had for the entire Trump presidency in that uh, motivating that shy Trump uh, voter or the voters who say, you know, I, uh, uh, I don't really, uh, uh, certainly I wouldn't approve of Trump in normal times, but these aren't normal times uh, and he's what we need in this moment. Uh, like those people are stimulated by the very indignation and uh, what they would regard as the sanctimoniousness of uh, the democratic response to Trump. In other words, the more indignant some Democrats get, the more it uh, uh, um, stimulates some of those voters. I don't like everything uh, uh, President Trump says, but I love the way that he uh, gets in Nancy Pelosi's face. Um, uh, I love the fact that he doesn't care. I, I, I've never, maybe I'm not, I don't, uh, I'm uncomfortable with voting for somebody I think is racist, but uh, I like the fact that he doesn't care that Bill Galston uh, thinks I'm racist. Uh, or that uh, Politico or the Washington Post, New York Times writes that uh, these races, it actually stimulates that uh, that vote. And so it's, uh, uh, I think that's long been a challenge. Uh, it really goes to, I've had conversations with uh, 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 with a lot of Trump voters and occasionally I open my column up for comments and urge people to email. Uh, and uh, what's really interesting is the number of people who uh, would uh, say, I, I find Trump reprehensible. I, uh, um, uh, I think he's egotistical. I think he's insulting. He doesn't reflect my values. And I back him because uh, uh, I respect the, uh, the contempt he has for um, polit the political hypocrisy that people see all around them. Um, it's different than, say, Biden, right? I think, I mean, excuse me, uh, President Obama. I think most Democrats who like President Obama, he would be their ideal president in virtually any time, right? Well, I just, that's what I like. I like somebody who's progressive and intelligent and uh, uh, disciplined. Um, uh, most Trump voters are, don't like him in absolute terms. They only like him in relative terms, relative to uh, uh, the uh, decay and corruption that they see around them in the in the media and in politics as usual. That's why they back him. Uh, um, anyway, I, I think that he's reached the limits of that politics. Uh, uh, that's why I don't think he's in good shape for, for the election. But uh, anyway, the, the question about the hidden Trump vote is actually stimulates that because I'm certain that a lot of that vote is motivated by the, by the very kind of indignation that you can see on the front page of the papers uh, on any given day. On, on so, so Donald Trump is a man for one season. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's really a good way of putting it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from, uh, from Chad Carpenter, do the vice presidential candidates make any difference? I mean, the first rule is do no harm. And uh, um, he clearly, it seemed to me, uh, um, cleared that bar uh, with the selection of, of Senator Harris. Um, I now predict the ticket will carry California uh, since she joined the. Uh, <laughs> she joined the ticket. Um, uh, uh, you know, I think there's uh, the best uh, vice 
presidential uh, picks uh, kind of underline and reinforce a, a basic message and narrative of the uh, the campaign. I think she did that. Um, um, uh, the, the message of the campaign was, look, I'm a coalition candidate. I'm a transition candidate. I'm making the way for a, um, a younger generation of leaders. Uh, I'm uh, overseeing a diverse party. Uh, I, I think it really... Uh, did underline that narrative in pretty effective ways, uh, but marginal ways. It, it just doesn't matter that much in the end. Uh, from Diane and Hal Gershowitz, or maybe just one of them, I'm not sure, will the high cost to the country of the Trump stumbles on the pandemic inoculate Bar Biden against charges that he will impose great tax increases? As uh, you know, the point I've made a couple of times that I see Democrats moving off uh, the pendulum swinging and that's moving the progressive party off the defensive, which is where they've been uh, uh, for much of the, uh, uh, the previous generation. I, I don't see that as a, uh, the tax issue as having the, the kind of salience uh, that it did in, in the past. Uh, um, people who are... Mm -hmm anti-tax uh, voters pretty well in the Republican column. People who want to vote uh, generally have progressive instincts. Uh, uh, as near as I can tell, they're willing to pay a little more taxes in a way that's different than, uh, um, uh, than was the case uh, uh, previously. I still think those people are very functionally minded. Like I don't mind paying more taxes, but I want it for uh, a party that's competent. I want it for uh, uh, programs that I think actually make sense and uh, um, um, enhance uh, uh, enhance the wealth of the country. Um, um, so I, I think the the, uh, the tax issue is going to be all in how uh, Joe Biden explains why he needs more revenue. Uh, John, yeah, uh, I think we have time to squeeze in one more question. Okay, uh, and uh, and it's. Uh, it's from a former member of Congress, Lynn Schenck, whom you may remember. Uh, and it's a question about the squad and by extension, uh, I would say uh, the Progressive Caucus, uh, the impact of that on what No Labels is trying to do on a bipartisan basis. Uh, and I would add, especially in a Biden administration. You know, they are... Um uh, pushing the Democratic Party and large elements of the Democratic Party outside their uh, comfort zone. Uh, um, I think it's a mistake for um, um, Democrats to, uh, as some do, to get really uh, uh, resentful of that new energy or seeming uh, 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 be seen as trying to, to muffle it. Um, um, I think that the, uh, uh, the the better stance is say yes, we'll take that energy and uh, uh, also and those votes that come with that. Uh, and uh, at the end of the day, the party is going to be measured by how well it is seen as producing results uh, for um, um, uh, for average Americans. Um, so there, there's no question their brand of politics in the squad is quite different than the brand of politics associate with the. Uh, uh, with no label labels. It is more partisan. It is more ideological. Um, um, but look, this is politics and, and uh, parties have to, uh, uh, they've got to accommodate multiple 
constituencies and the, and the fact that there's going to be new energy uh, in, in as new generations and new groups of voters and, and sort of new leaders come into the party. So if you if you're in a position of bridling at that or, or patronizing it, uh, uh, I think that's really a, a unattractive place uh, for a, a party to be. Um, it, now it's not wrong to uh, insist on a, a kind of measure of discipline. At the end of the day, after we have our argument, we are, are trying to uh, be effective and pass results. Um, um, and that seems to me that the, the, uh, that's going to be the the, uh, the challenge long term for for people and for really for anybody member of Congress, but it's certainly the, uh, the uh, members of the squad as they come back after successive elections. Well, what, what have you done? What, what's been the the result of what you pushed for? Um, you know, I, if you look at how the in this uh, convention, different wings of the party, even though they the, the, the differences that were on display in the uh, uh, Democratic uh, primaries. They weren't made up. It wasn't just a misunderstanding. There's authentic differences of uh, of ideology and priorities. Um, but the party come together pretty well. And, uh, you know, Joe Biden couldn't be, uh, there's nothing more he could have asked for from Bernie Sanders uh, that he got. And uh, um, uh, so, yeah, if, if it's a winning coalition, I have some expectations of what's going to happen. Uh, it just seems to me that politics working well. That's not politics uh, failing. Yeah. Well, we've reached the witching hour, and uh, I will just comment uh, just on your last point, John. Uh, we have in the United States the minimum number of political parties that a representative democracy requires. At the same time, we're a buzzing, booming, diverse country of 330 million people that every political party or each major political party is going to be a very diverse coalition. Uh, and managing that coalition, synthesizing views when po whenever possible, making choices only when necessary, uh, is part of the art of coalition management uh, that a president and certainly a speaker of the House uh, must perform on a daily basis. We shall see. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, to conclude, let me just thank you for being so generous with your time, uh, really responding to so many, so many questions, and, uh, and in the, on the theory that no good deed goes unpunished, I hereby extend to you an invitation to come back after the election and explain to us just what happened and why. Oh, that well, I accept. That would be fun. Uh, so um, uh, let's do that. Thank you so much for having me and for these good questions. I, I, I found them uh, uh, very informative. It's been our pleasure, John. Thanks so much. We are adjourned. Okay, thanks. John Harris notes that Democrats had electoral success in the 2018 midterms by focusing on issues and raising up their rhetoric. But he sees the current Democratic presidential ticket focus more on the deficiencies of Donald Trump, a strategy that did not work for Hillary Clinton in 2016. He unfortunately thinks both parties will continue to focus on rallying their base and attacking the other side unless there is a landslide election, which he does not expect in 2020. Go to nolabels.org to learn more about how we are bringing together a bipartisan group of public and private leaders working to solve America's toughest problems. I'm Ryan Clancy, and this has been an episode of Gridlock Break, a No Labels podcast.